Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Healthy Perspectives. We are super excited today for two reasons. The first is we have a new co-host to announce, Miss Alex Hakeem. Alex is a digital strategist and part of our emerging digital group here at Patience and Purpose, and we are super pumped to have her aboard. Thanks, Ivy. I'm super pumped as well to join the podcast. The second reason we're excited is because our guest today is Mike Porath, founder and CEO of The Mighty. The Mighty is a supportive social community platform for people facing health challenges and the people that care for them. Mike has previously worked for places like ABC, NBC, The New York Times, and AOL News, just to name a few, all before championing this innovative platform. We're thrilled to have the chance to talk with him, so without further ado, let's get to the show. Mr. Mike Porath. We are so happy to have you here today, and we like to kick things off with an icebreaker, which we didn't share with you ahead of time (laughs) so that you would be surprised. So our icebreaker for you is, what is the first website that you visit in the morning? So when I open my phone in the morning, and I'm one of those people that does have it next to my bed, Mm -hmm. um, I do check email first, but then beyond that, it's the New York Times website. And part of that is I worked there for years, helped leading the... um, the website operation and so ever since then that's just been you know kind of my go-to to know what's going on in the world but i'm sure three million people every morning are waking up <laughs> and reading the mighty so to kick it off um can you tell us a little bit about why and how did you start the mighty yeah the why was um i just my own experience raising a daughter with a rare disease you know my wife and i found the thing that helped us most was not the you know the webmds of the world it was um, connecting with other people and uh I felt like if that was meaningful to us, it was probably the same for a lot of others. And I was kind of scratching my head as to why is there not an enormous health community out there that does what I need done for me? And so that was kind of, that was the idea behind it. And um, it was, you know, bounced around in my head for several years. And um, my wife's really responsible for getting it started because she got to a point where she just told me, I'm sick of you talking about it. Are you (laughs) going to do it or not? And, you know, I needed that little kick in the butt to say like, are we doing this or are we just going to keep talking about it? And, um, you know, because I had the support from her to leave my job and to start it, you know, she asked a really simple question, which was, do you think it will work? And when you say yes to that, which I did, it was kind of on me then (laughs) to, to make it work. And, um, and so that, that was really the reason why though it was, it, it, it was helpful to us to connect with folks and we thought it would you know, be the same for others. And then it was just a process of figuring out what our approach would be to actually get it going. When you began searching after your daughter was diagnosed, was there one piece of content that really spurred that idea in your head or was it more so what you weren't finding? Yeah, I think when when we got the diagnosis, uh, there wasn't that much medical information out there, but we did, you know, we read it all, but it, it didn't help me understand um, my kid, right? It was just, it was it was almost disconnected from you know, trying to help her. And so the thing that was most helpful is I found a a series of stories online that were written by parents of kids with the same disorder. And that was eye-opening to me because I started to really understand from their perspective what this path was going to look like for us. Being able to talk with folks that know what you're going through is, is, is so critical. You know, I think that that's the, that's where we found really the power of the shared experiences. So when you were talking to your wife over and over about this idea in your head and before you actually started it, um, you know, what were some of the challenges that you faced? Given that I was, uh, you know, had the journalistic background, I, um, 
I did what a journalist does. I started doing research. I started investigating. And um, I, I just wondered why, did this, why doesn't this already exist, right? And, um, and what I found was that my initial idea was not nearly as unique as I thought it was. There were a lot of health communities that were out there that people had started, um, but none of them had ever reached a certain level of scale. And as I began exploring and talking to folks who had started some, what I realized was most were started by people who knew the technology side really well, but then they struggled to get users. So they made, you know, everything was HIPAA compliant. They had every feature in the world baked into some product, but they couldn't find people to actually use it and to really open up. And um, given that that was not my background on the tech side, you know, I was a storyteller, journalist. And so um, I believed that if we did great content, you know, stories, real stories from real people facing um, whatever health conditions, I mean, that's what had resonated with me, um, that if we really built a base there, that that great content could lead to community. And um, so we started with a simple WordPress site that we got up and running. You know, it was you know, getting the, the logo, the, the design for the logo, the website, Which getting, is great, it all, by the way. Get, getting it all up cost 1200 bucks, right? The buying the URL was $3,500. And I remember going to the bank to cash that check and I would, I couldn't believe I was spending $3,500 and not really getting anything in return, <laughs> right? You just buy a URL. Um, but uh, that was, you know, kind of just getting started. But for me, I think the challenge was um, just seeing what other communities, you know, had grown, but it kind of stopped growing at some point. I felt like um, starting with content, that approach, uh, and building community, and that's, I was, you know, that was my professional expertise. That's what I knew. Um, I think that was key to really getting it going early on. And I think you definitely, from your background, you obviously know the value of a good story and that that can change lives, you know, through working at the, T the New York Times, ABC, MSNBC, a million different places. Like, you you know that content is king. That's such a smart strategy. What was the first story that you posted on The Mighty, and how did that help you recruit more contributors? Um, so the first story was actually my own. The second story was I had hired a woman from Huffington Post um, to get it started, and she posted a story about why she joined The Mighty. And it was so good when she, you know, um, sent it to me that it was going to be posted um, I literally wrote back in the email. I said, I'm not touching this. Like, it did not need one word of edit. It was just so crystal clear on, um, you know, the purpose of what we were doing and why she joined to, to help do it. Uh, and then the first story, um, we did a few news stories, but the first story that was submitted to us was by um, uh, a woman um, who unfortunately had, you know, she'd given birth to a baby who died that same day. And she wrote about that experience. She knew that that was going to happen. It, um, she knew that this child had a, had a disease that was fatal. Um, but she talked about the joy in those 23 minutes while her daughter was alive um, that she experienced and carried with her, you know, after that. And that certainly wouldn't be the first thing I would think of when you're talking about going through that experience. Uh, but what's so wonderful about that story uh, and what we learned pretty quickly was stories like that got other people who are living with, you know, similar, you know, similar types of experiences really open up and start talking about really difficult situations. So, you know, there are, um, I didn't know this at the time, but that happens, you know, where a baby's born and dies on the same day over a million times a year around the world. And you think about who are all these people that are experiencing this? Who do they talk to about the grief that they're going through and just that, you know, emotional roller coaster and, you know, all of that. And it's going to be talking to other people who have been through it that almost can act as mentors for them as they're going through their own, you know, process of, of dealing with it. And um, but that was the first story that came in. And I, I remember when that came in, I was just like, 
wow, like, I think this is going to work. <laughs> like, if we can get more content from people facing these things and in such a constructive and positive way um, that we could uh, we can really get people, you know, talking and opening up and, and helping each other out. At Patients and Purpose, we're really big on building online communities between patients and caregivers. And one thing that always surprises me is how people are so open to sharing very personal moments and stories with complete strangers. Mm -hmm. And what is your view on that? Why do you think people feel so open about that? Well, when you think about the different networks that are out there, so something like a Facebook, you know, that is, um, it's generally more of your friends and your family. You know, Instagram may be slightly different, but it's still those core people that you know. And you tend to share the best stuff that's going on, this awesome meal that I had or this vacation that I'm on. Um, but it's hard sometimes for people to share the really difficult things that they're dealing with internally um, with those same types of people. And so I think actually having a dedicated network where people feel safe and supported to open up, they can, um, they don't have to use their real name, right? They can, you know, just like on Twitter, you can get your own, you know, mm -hmm. handle of what, yeah, what you can be anonymous. Um, and it makes people, I think, feel like they can open up in a way that they may not be able to on other networks. Um, and I, I, again, it's the, those complete strangers, you bond over something of, you know, you're sharing an experience with them that um, maybe nobody you actually know has. And I think it, it actually, there's a freedom uh, of opening up and being able to share that because you instantly get that they understand. They understand what you're going through. Right. I mean, how did you start to go about the process of recruiting contributors and viewers? Was it just something that happened organically? Or did you guys have a process by which you tried to find the right people to join? I think it was it was a lot of trial and error. We yeah. tried a number of things. Some things worked better than others. Um, early on, there were a lot of mommy bloggers out there that who, you know, they were writing their own posts, but no one was really seeing them because it was just their own blog somewhere. And so they started recognizing that by being part of this larger, you know, group of people sharing their experiences that they could actually reach more people. Um, and so, you know, but initially it was literally reaching out to people that we saw they were writing something on the internet and we thought that more people should see it. And so we reached out to them and said, would you, you know, um, we would love to have your experiences, your stories on the mighty, would you share them here? And so that was the beginning. There was a tipping point where we had, um, about six, seven months into maybe longer into uh, building the mighty we had a story go viral. And by viral, I mean six to seven million views yeah. in a single day. <laughs> um, when we were looking at Google Analytics, we could see that in that 24-hour period, um, someone from every country around the world had viewed the story. Um, and so when that kind of it blew up, um, we, we were in real time, we were a three, four-person operation at that point. And we were, um, one, just trying to keep the servers up <laughs> so people could see it. But yeah. we started testing. We said, what an opportunity we have to get more people to share right now. And so at the bottom of the story, we kept changing the, the line of text that would say, you know, like, please share your story or those types of things. And what we realized that day, because we kept changing it like every half an hour and we would see how many people are, are you know, clicking on it, was we needed to be more specific about what you should do. So in that moment, it was it happened to be um, like a week or two before Thanksgiving. And so we when we put uh, messaging on there that said, um, write, uh, you know, please submit a thank you letter to someone who's experienced, who's helped you on your health journey. And um, rather than just saying share your story, which could mean a lot of different things to people, it was so specific that everyone gets what a thank you letter is. And everyone could think of somebody in their life that helped them in some way. 
And so about 10 times the number of submissions came in when we changed the phrase to that. And, uh, and that just taught us, it was a great learning moment for us, that we needed to be more specific in terms of asking people what to submit that would, again, be helpful and meaningful to others. Um, and so, and again, we got better at it over time, but there was that moment that really yeah. was uh, a teaching moment for us. And thank you letters actually, I believe, became a, a thing for you in another way, right? Like you guys did something kind of unique and innovative for a company in a digital space almost. Is that yeah, right? I mean, it, it's, you know, we tried to really think hard about, you know, how do we express our appreciation to someone who shared their story with us? Um, we didn't see ourselves as just like some social network or something that was out there. It was really a matter of, you know, we we just appreciated it. And so we thought, you know, um, as a bootstrap company, not having any money, I was, you know, paying for all this out of my um, savings account. <laughs> uh, it was, you know, how do we show that appreciation? And so we thought a good way to do it would, was actually with a handwritten card that, you know, we were telling them that it really mattered to us. It mattered to people in the community, and we were so happy that they were a part of this. And um, and then we would send those out, and we started seeing people share those across social networks. And, um, you know, it's, in some cases, we sent flowers to folks before Thanksgiving, yeah. and people started showing that they were using them as a centerpiece with a little mighty thing on it. And so it, it helped people get, you know, talking about it. We didn't think of it initially as a marketing device, but it, it ended up serving as one. Yeah. Um, but it was just, you know, us trying to determine what is the best way to express our appreciation. Just and being that good humans. Out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that has definitely worked because you have built such a library of amazing content, but also this incredible network of users. And in your recent talk, million registered users, zero marketing dollars. That is super impressive. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, as we grew, we were very... Um, disciplined about um, how we were going to grow. We wanted to do it in an organic way. Um, having worked in digital media for a long time, um, I knew the folks, the budgets, and all that to, to spend on getting you know messaging out there in a big way. And I felt like if this was going to work in the long run, we had to do it in an organic way. And so, um, which made it harder, but it also taught us a lot more about um, the kinds of content that would resonate with folks. Um, it, you know, Early on, we actually went through, the, the editor and I went through uh, you know, our top performing stories and broke them down to the point of there was like seven different traits that we saw in these that were getting them, you know, getting people to share and, and those types of things. And so, um, but by being disciplined, we figured out how to, you know, how to really grow this into something much bigger. And um, again, it was, um, we could have taken the shortcut, but I'm, you know, it took a little longer to figure out how to do it organically. But I think the, the company is much better served for having going, going through that process. Yeah. Would you say that that strategy sort of aligns with the mission in some ways of yeah. the company? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, like we, we believe that, um, uh, Healthcare should be easier. The system, the approach, um, you know, the how you navigate through it, all of that, and we want to be a place that that um, helps that and really puts you know patients and caregivers back um, in the driving seat to uh, you know manage their own health. And um, and the first part of that was actually you know connecting with people and content that really resonate you know with you. There's many other parts that we're continuing to build on. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we love to see that the stories that were being shared, we were ultimately driving the conversation in health. You know, we were looking at metrics that showed 
that you know we were getting um, you know more shares of our content than all of the big publishers combined. So it was something like you know a year ago it was maybe seven seven times all of WebMD, Everyday Health, Healthline, and, and many more um, because the content wasn't clinical, it wasn't medical, it was actually human. And what do people share? They share stories, they share experiences, and so it really started. You know that content was driving. Um, the conversation uh, around health, and uh, and then people were joining the community because they wanted to be a part of it. It seems like people are really comforted by the platform. Do you do you, do you have a sense of why that is? Is it? I think so. Important? Yes, I agree, I agree with you yeah. that uh, people feel very safe and supported in the community. Uh, I think part of it is um, the brand. Uh, if we had named this DiseasesAndDisabilities.com, like that's not something a lot of people want to be a part of. I think naming it the mighty and showing that the, the, the power in sharing experiences and connecting with other folks and, and uh, that there's, there is so much good that comes out of it, the learning experience and the, um, you know, improving ourselves for the better and taking a constructive approach to healthcare. So I think part of it was the brand. Um, part of it is the culture within the community. When you start with a bunch of people who want to help each other out, um, it tend people tend to join and see that behavior and start mimicking it. Whereas you know other you know forms like a Reddit or something like that is can be challenging. There are a lot of haters there, mm -hmm. and so um, yeah. I think we built the right culture within the community early on. Then when we um, we actually launched the community side of what we were doing uh, with 24/7 um, moderation, and so both on the technology side and on the you know kind of actually having humans there. So we have a team of people who in real time are able to see what's being posted and making sure that this fits the community, that no one's attacking someone, all of that. And then there's blacklisted keywords that get posted, which you know community members can also. Um, uh, you know, flag something and saying, hey, I don't really think this is appropriate. And so um, the fact that we focused on moderation early on, I think, really helped us in terms of setting the right culture mm -hmm. within the community. Yeah. So you had to grow from, I think you said you started with three or four people to a lot more people. How many people are working for Yeah, we have over now? 40 uh, people at the company now. Yeah. Um, we have offices in Los Angeles where I live and then in, um, in New York as well mm -hmm. where we are now. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a number of people that work um, remotely um, you know, within the companies. Uh, I mean, one of the, the things that I think I'm most proud of in terms of what we've done is surrounded the company with the right people. And that's um, that starts with you know, the, the employees, most of the employees came out of the community. Mm -hmm. So, you know, our disability editor has cerebral palsy. Our community um, manager has spina bifida. Our uh, rare disease editor was the first person in the world to get gene therapy. And I could go on and on wow. and on with the folks. And not just on the editorial side, but on the engineering side. And, and I think the company drew people to it who wanted to be a part of it, who wanted to spend their time and effort and their talents working on something that they that they found meaning in. And so um, that's really helped us in terms of recruiting great people. And we've had to be, um, we've had to figure out the right way to do it in terms of there are some people that aren't going to move to New York or LA, but it could still be awesome people mm -hmm. um, that we want to have on the team. And so, you know, figuring out a way to manage the company, knowing that a number of these folks are going to live wherever they live now, they may not be able to travel outside their home much and things like that. Um, but I'm, I'm proud of the fact that we've, you know, brought in a lot of employees that way. It seems like your mission for the mighty is also reflected in the way you run the company itself, which is really impressive. And you've kind of grown from establishing this great online community to also being an incredible source of data. 
that is really useful not only in the medical field but also from a brand perspective. Can you talk a little bit about this process and what the future holds for the Mighty's data pool? Yeah, when we got started, um, I honestly didn't know what we were building. I mean, I had a vision of what we wanted to, but um, I didn't see it initially how valuable it would be to have, um, you know, we're building one of the largest databases of how people actually experience health. Um, and of course, we want to be um, great stewards of any of this information that we're collecting. And, you know, we don't sell any personal information or anything like that. But if you look across, let's say, you know, 15,000 posts written about uh, living with bipolar disorder, and you scrape away all of the profile information and really just look at the text, right, and understand where people were at and, you know, what their experiences are uh, running machine learning and things like that across, you know, um, all of those posts, there's a tremendous amount that we can learn about, you know, how people actually experience this. So um, I think that, you know, that that's valuable to uh, folks in, in healthcare in a lot of different ways. Um, initially, the folks that we started working with most were academic researchers. So we've worked with uh, researchers at Harvard, and we have projects at um, Howard University, Maryland, uh, we're talking with Stanford, um, that recognize that we have something really unique here and, and that, we, you know, people are opened have opened up and been very vulnerable about sharing what they're going through. And so um, that qualitative data is incredibly valuable in, you know, in healthcare. And we're, you know, I think just, um, just tapping into a little bit of it right now. Definitely. I think at Patients in Purpose, we always look for how we can use data to really connect with patients authentically, which I think the Mighty is doing a lot of. And you also do a lot of um, live events as well as surveys. How did that come out of um your vision for the mighty. Yeah, the live events were um, when we survey the the, uh, the community members, which we do often. Usually, the number one thing they ask for is they want to connect to people in person. And so it's it's funny in some ways that we started digital and we're actually moving to just the personal connections. And that could be um, these don't have to be big events. They could be you know 15 people in Madison, Wisconsin with Crohn's disease that want to find each other and have dinner together. Um, you know, so it's just a matter of enabling folks to find each other and um, and help each other. Uh, and that's you know people want to meet in person. So that, you know, kind of started the event side of it um, for us. And then, and we do, you know, we'll do, you know, over 500 events, in-person events this year. Uh, when I say we, it's really community members. We're giving them the tools to find each other, you know, and, um, and host those events. Um, on the survey side, you know, it's just understanding our community better and better. And I think, you know, we're very fortunate to have a community who wants their voices heard. So, you know, for instance, um, in the fibromyalgia community, we put together a 45-question survey that was really asking, um, you know, how have your experiences been, you know, living with fibromyalgia? And uh, we were shocked by how many people responded. We had, um, within a month or so, we had 14,000 people who had completed a 45-question survey with no incentive other than to help others in the community out. Now, we did tell them what's helpful. I think one thing that's helped us um, get s such large responses is we give the data back to the community. We say, if you submit this, you know, and you fill out the survey, like, we, we're going to produce the, all the information, and we're giving it back to you. Uh, and so you're going to learn how all these other people are experiencing this as well. And I think that's that's motivation for folks, because um, they want to they see how others experience things. What piece of data do you think made the biggest effect on a community? Um, the data on the community. Well, I'd say the research project we did with uh, Harvard, um, which was really looking at um, suicide ideation. So they were really fascinated with how open people were sharing, you know, 
just sharing about having suicidal thoughts. And um, their theory was that that was helping folks, but they also said it's possible that it's hurting them. They wanted to study it. And we said we would we would love to know what's happening here and what we can do to improve it. And so uh, we did about a six, seven-month re research project with them. And lo and behold, um, it came out very significantly that we were uh, helping people. We were reducing suicide ideation from those who were, you know, experiencing suicidal thoughts. And so I think, you know, that um, has helped inform us, um, not just within that community, but in others, ways that we can um, structure the kind of questions and, and, and kind of work within the communities uh, to get positive health outcomes. Uh, and so we're actually doing a much larger study with Harvard now. It's, it's kind of like, you know, they, they looked at it, this is great, but this is the tip of the iceberg. We can go much deeper and all of this. So um, the academic institutions that we work with have really helped us us think through how to create positive outcomes for folks who are part of the community. Wow. So I think one of the things that, you know, we've obviously been talking about this whole time is just obviously community, people driving the community that are part of it. You know, I could see the word brand almost being maybe a dirty word in that context, right? Like, you know, that they could be seen as, you know, the big pharma or the anti-community kind of messaging. But I feel like there's got to be a lot of opportunity or there hopefully is a lot of opportunity for brands to use something like this community to realize how they can actually better communicate and better serve their patients. Like that would be the best kind of outcome and possibility. Do you have a POV on how brands could be not a dirty word and could like authentically communicate with their audiences in a way that uses the mighty um you know yeah I don't we, know if we, there's fear there but we, we think a lot about it and um and we have been i think successful in bringing brands um into the community in a very authentic way mm -hmm. and when we sit down with brands and talk with them you know we're very honest with them and saying if you're not helpful to these folks they're going to reject you right, right? so right you should come to the table as an equal partner in all of this. You shouldn't be talking to people. You should be talking with them. That means sometimes you're talking, sometimes you're listening. There's mm -hmm. a lot more listening. So really in terms of how we bring brands in, there's the access to the community that we're helping you know, provide for them, but it's also the insights from the community that they really want um, to get out of. So uh, you know, for us, it's, it's again a matter of just you know, bringing them in in a really authentic way. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, we use this analogy of you know, the way healthcare should actually be done is if people were sitting around a table and just talking with each other, um, you know, maybe sharing a meal, a glass of wine, all of that. And if you actually looked, you know, thought of that in terms of instead of like a brand and a patient, and really looked at two people, maybe one that was developing a treatment that could be helpful to the other person who was dealing with something. Wow, that's a powerful conversation that pretty much anyone would sign up for. Right. Um, that's the conversations we want to have between a brand and a patient or a caregiver. Um, kind of stripping away the titles and making it as human as possible. Person to person. Yes, and mm -hmm. that's um, so that's the approach that we take, and I think we've been you know very successful because most of the brands we've worked with have come back and wanted to do a lot more with us. I think that's an awesome way to look at it. It's like you're almost creating this like virtual posse of like who you're working with and how you can pick the best parts of each person's job in order to create a really strong, captivating mission, but mm -hmm. also like connection with your patients, but also your customers. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Maybe we should call it the mighty posse now. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you could steal that from Alex. <laughs> but speaking of names, how did you come up with the name The Mighty? 
Um, that's it's that's a great question. So uh, in thinking about, I mean, I'd worked in digital media, and I think I had some understanding of like the power of brands. Mm-hmm. And um, when my wife and I sat down to think about what should be the name of this community, uh, we, you know, I went through a number of things. The first thing we did was talk about all the awesome experiences we'd had with our daughter, and because when you get a diagnosis it's like the end of the world and it's all you know doom and gloom and all of that and what we experienced was very different from that of course there's challenges i'm not trying to d- dismiss those but there were like amazing moments like you know after teaching her how to sign um to, you know to say different things uh you know six months where we never got her to sign anything and then the one day she finished a bowl of oranges and started tapping her fingers together which is a sign for more and my wife and i practically tackled each other running back to the kitchen to grab an orange and peel it and give it back to her. And so when we thought about, you know, all these awesome experiences that we had, you know, um, that we that we had just experienced as parents, we started listing them all down and we came up with like 30 different words we were using. And then we bucketed those under three that kind of were the dominant ones, which were strength, joy, and courage. And then we tried to think of a word that brought together strength, joy, and courage, and that was mighty. And then I was, you know, looking on GoDaddy.com to see what's a URL with mighty. Um, (laughs) Mighty.com was like $750,000. That wasn't going to work. Yep. (laughs) Um, And then I saw The Mighty was available, and that, that looked great. And I thought, you know, this one could work. And so literally, you know put it in auction, try to get it. And, you know, we, we were able to, to get it, but that's, that was the, the idea. We, but it's also, we had to come up with a name that was aspirational. We didn't want a literal name. I wanted something that people wanted to be, you know, really a part of. And we did think about, you know, growing this into something where we wanted to bring folks from all around the healthcare universe into it. And it had to be a, you know, a brand that's not misspelled. We didn't want a dot net, you know, mm-hmm. we wanted something that was real that folks could look at this and say, you know, this is a brand that a Johnson and Johnson would want to align with, right? Yeah. That would that we could really get some big partners um, in here, and so you know that we we put a lot of thought into um, naming the community something that folks would want to be a part of. It's super empowering. I, every time you even just say the mighty, you know, it kind of gives you like I don't know. It just makes me want to like clench my fist and be like, yeah, like yeah, the mighty, like yes. people who yeah. can do it, people who can do things and accomplish things together. Yep. So. Good job with that name. And <laughs> Thank you. Congrats to GoDaddy for having it be available. <laughs> yes. Um, how has the community supported you personally? Um, in terms of how the community has helped me, I've found people that um, have stories and have experiences that have changed my viewpoint of how to parent my daughter. Um, and not just her, but the siblings. There's a lot of, you know, I mean, yes, my daughter has a rare disease, but it really impacts the entire family in all sorts of different ways. And being able to connect with folks in the community who have, you know, felt uh, similar things and have gone through things where maybe their other kids aren't getting the attention they deserve and just being able to talk with them has been critical. Um, There's, you know, there's one story that, you know, I've shared before um, that Carrie Magro, an autism advocate um, who is autistic, a young adult um, who's gone on to do amazing things. He has a PhD leads a nonprofit organization, all the film studios actually use him um, to be a consultant to make sure that they're getting things right when they have an autism, you know, character in their films. And he wrote, he's written over 100 stories on The Mighty, but one of them in particular was about um, uh, what he would say, he was nonverbal until he was six or seven years old, and it was about what he would say to his parents back then if he was actually verbal. And it was just a letter of appreciation for how hard they were working on his behalf, to tr- you know, fighting for him and 
um, you know, just helping him in all the ways that they did, he wasn't able to verbalize that when he was that age. And that really spoke to me because I had a daughter who was not verbal at the time who, um, you know, I was trying to, to work with and to, to know that, that she may have had that inside of her the way he did of how much she may be appreciating this, but she may not be able to show me. Um, I mean, that was the motivation that, you know, it just, it just kept me going through all the hard moments. And, um, and so I thought of his story literally every day when I sit down I put my phone away at night so I could spend time with her before bed and all that. And that was really Carrie just talking to me. He didn't know this at the time, but it was just his words in my head about, you know, Mike, you should be fighting for your daughter and you should put the time in and, you know, all of that. And, um, that, that was just one story, one person that made an enormous difference on and me. And what would you say is that next milestone? What's on the horizon for The Mighty as a platform? And so I think that it's um, it's really about turning, um, our, so we have an app that is where most of the conversations are actually happening. Generally speaking, the web is more for, um, people use it more for consumption, reading the content or watching the videos. The app is something where the majority of actually conversations between folks are happening. And so um, I think to get more people to you know participate, really growing that out and um, leveraging video and making it as human as possible. Um, the more we can make it human, I think the more it's going to grow because that's that's how people want to you know they want to interact with another person in as human a way as possible. So um, I think the you know growing the app into something that um, a lot more folks can actually not just consume content but really participate in the conversations will help you know get us to a whole new new level. Do you have uh, three quick tips for brands on how they can make content more human? Uh, good question. Three quick tips. Um, so one is um, use humans in the content, have it written by a human, um, not maybe someone from your own team. Uh, I think that would be a starting point. Uh, it's just that's what's going to relate to folks in a much more powerful way, hearing from someone else that, you know, is dealing with other, you know, those circumstances. I think that it's also there's a tendency to um, sugarcoat a lot of things and um, health is hard and it's okay to talk about the real challenges and be honest with the situations people are facing while at the same time you want to add you know levity to it as well so it's not making er not everything has to be totally inspirational um, the inspiration can come from the honesty of what folks are actually dealing with and then the I guess there, there, there's the positivity or constructive approach to how they're handling it. So, you know, that would, you know, it would just be a matter of, you know, let's be honest, be honest in the content. Um, so that's what, that's two out of three. Uh, the third one would be um, they should work with the mighty because they'll get it in front of the people. It'll actually be helpful. That's <laughs> I think tip that's, number three. That's the perfect way to close us out, Mike. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. It has been an absolute enlightening talk with you and i think my biggest takeaway is that everybody regardless of what's going on with them could benefit from taking a look at what's going on in the mighty thank you very much for having me yeah thank you Our huge thanks to Mike for taking the time out of his incredibly busy schedule to chat with us today. And his story has been pretty inspiring. So we hope that you take some of that inspiration with you out into the world. If you or someone you love is struggling with a new diagnosis and finding a community, The Mighty is a great place to start. You can visit them at themighty.com for more information. And be sure to keep updated with our online community by following us at Patience and Purpose on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. See you guys on the next episode. Until then, bye. bye.